coming up on Ibogaine Uncovered. Once you've quieted the voice of the ego, that's nice. But if you're not listening to the ego, what are you listening to? You need guidance, right? And so the other flip side of it is how you learn to attune more to your heart and how you learn to cultivate that language. And again, the medicine really gave me an explanation of how the heart communicates and it made it so simple and crystal clear that now in my day-to-day, I know what to look out for and I can identify it so much more easily. Because a lot of times, even like intuition versus fear, they can feel very, very similar, right? And so essentially, you know, there were the teachings with regards to this is how the heart speaks, this is the language of the heart, and this is how you learn to listen to it. And then these are things that you can do to cultivate the presence of that language. My name is Amanda Siebert, and you're listening to I Begin Uncovered, the podcast that explores the impact of one of the most powerful psychedelic medicines on the planet. Can Ibogaine really get to the root of our trauma? Join me as I ask practitioners, patients, researchers, and specialists about their experiences. Hello, and welcome to Ibogaine Uncovered. Before I introduce our next guest, I'll take a moment to address something new you might have noticed about this podcast. We've decided to change the name. While the name Root Medicine was an accurate representation of what Ibogaine is, the new name for the show better describes what I'm working to do. Explore the impact of this powerful plant-derived medicine, including what prompts people to seek it out, and how their lives are often transformed through the teachings they received. The format of the podcast will remain the same, with a key question guiding the discussions. Can the psychedelic Ibogaine really get to the root of our trauma? In this episode, I speak with Julia Rybelt. Julia is a director at Evolve Ventures and Foundation and a former independent consultant for MAPS with an MBA from Columbia Business School. Julia has put her corporate background to use in the burgeoning psychedelic space. She's also spreading the word about psychedelics on TikTok with her account at FindJules, where she has over 100,000 followers. Julia recently underwent an Ibogaine treatment in Mexico. She's been very open with her audience about the experience and fields a lot of questions and biases about psychedelics. We start by talking about some of the common misconceptions she's heard. We also talk about Julia's previous experiences with plant medicine, which helped her to overcome diagnoses including eating disorders, CPTSD, PMDD, and depression. Did this work better prepare her for Ibogaine? Julia shares that Ibogaine provided her with a blueprint for life that would help her maintain the feeling of clarity she experienced after her treatment. We get into what that blueprint looked like. I also asked Julia how she manages her relationship with social media post-Ibogaine. Finally, we talk about Julia's primary lesson from the medicine. What is the language of the heart? If we believe that Ibogaine is a tool that can help us achieve better mental, physical, and spiritual health, it's important that we remember to use it in conjunction with other tools. Julia's experience teaches us that one, it's never just plant medicine alone that can help us move through challenging periods in our lives. And two, the answers we seek outside of ourselves and often from plant medicine exist within us. It comes down to our ability to tune in and listen to the language of our own hearts. 
Hello, Julia. Julia Rybelt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. I'm um, really excited to chat with you. You're coming in with a really unique perspective, working in the psychedelic space, you know, corporate background, and you run a really successful TikTok account at Fine Jewels, where you have over 100,000 followers. Now, that's one of the first things I want to talk about with you, where you document all things psychedelic healing. I love that. Now, you recently shared with me that every day the biases that people hold towards psychedelic medicines are confirmed to you. And this got me thinking because there are a lot of them. In fact, I've written about some of them. And so I wanted to ask you, what were some of the biases that your audience revealed to you when you shared with them that you did Ibogaine? Yeah, so... I think, first of all, there were a lot of people who had not heard of it before, which is not really a surprise. I think it's out of all the like big ones, the probably least well-known and well-understood ones. But I think the people that did know about it, a lot of them only heard about it in relation to addiction treatment, right? So I think that is the number one bias that people have. But the people that had experienced it, it was a very consistent in stream of comments that went something like, I did it once, or my husband did it once, or my uncle did it once, and I completely changed their life. So it was very, you know, it was not really arbitrary. Like the people that had done it, they were very, walked away with a lot of benefit from it, but most people did not really know mm-hmm. or understand the medicine itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really common misconception that you know, one that Ibogaine is is only good for one sort of treatment for addiction. The other is that it's a miracle drug. And so it's interesting to, to sort of look at this difference in comments. Were there any other things that sort of stood out to you about what people were saying about Ibogaine? I think a lot of people were curious about the medical aspect of it and had heard that you need a certain setting for it to be safe. So I think there was a lot of cautions around that. And I think there's definitely tremendous curiosity with regards to Ibogaine, but I think people just relate to it differently than all of the other medicines that can be taken in less controlled settings. Now, I've spoken with guests on the show about different behaviors or coping mechanisms that may have drawn them towards Ibogaine treatment. But you're the first person I'm speaking with who has dealt with an eating disorder in the past. Now, a couple of statistics about eating disorders. According to the National Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Eating Disorders, they affect at least 9% of the population worldwide, and they have the highest risk of death for any mental health condition. So this really puts it in perspective. What's more, as many as 80% of people with eating disorders, they go undetected. They never really receive treatment. So this is a significant segment of the population dealing with something that is unknown that most people in their lives are never really going to know about. So you've shared with me and with your followers on TikTok that through lots of healing work with plant medicine, you've overcome bulimia and CPTSD, PMDD, and depression. Now, how did all of that plant medicine work and all of that experience prepare you for this journey with Ibogaine that you had recently? That's a really good question because I think I had a drastically different experience than I would have had if this had been my first journey. And I think one of the reasons for that is that, you know, the work with these medicines is all about changing your awareness and making the unconscious conscious, even if it's not just specific memories, but the impact that it had on you, making that part of it conscious, right? And 
I think because I'd done a lot of digging, I had sort of a lay of the land. I felt like I knew what was there, right? I think because of that, the ibogaine experience for me was very surgical and it just filled in the gaps because part of the reason that I was so curious to do it is because I don't have a lot of childhood memories and a lot of the memories that I do have are the ones that came back through this work with altered states of consciousness and you know meditation retreats and I wanted the full picture I wanted you know also the beautiful happy childlike memories and not just the ones that had hurt me and because of that I think Ibogaine really gave me like such a holistic view of how I grew up to become the person that I have become. And I think it's not just the plant medicine work that prepared me for the journey, but all of the other things that I did to really journey inward and understand how the mind works, how consciousness works understand the different parts within your psyche and what their intentions are. Because what happened to me during my Ibogaine journey is that it just provided such clarity into things that I'd intellectually known and had somewhat resonated with for years, but there was just a lack of felt understanding. And so there was a little bit of a distance between me and the teaching. And I think because I had all of these things in me, they had landed in previous times, previous years, either through plant teachers or through other spiritual teachers. But there was something was missing. And I really walked out of that Ibogaine experience. And it just felt like this light bulb moment where I was like, oh, now I understand what this person that I heard speak three years ago talked about. Like, this is it. And I think because of that, it really shaped my journey. And I think if you come to it without having done a lot of this digging and work with your subconscious. I think Ibogaine is super powerful because it takes you straight to it, but you're going to be, I think, exposed to a lot more things that might be news to you. And in my life review during my journey, there was not really anything that, you know, surprised me per se. (laughs) And, you know, some specific experiences, I realized, oh, wow, that did impact me more than I realized. But think it can be a lot if this is like the first thing that you do, right? And my Ibogaine journey was very short. My visionary phase lasted for three hours. And afterwards, I was like, what? Is this it? <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that's a big part of the reason I think that really impacted my journey. It speaks to the value of coming into something like this with a little bit of experience, knowing those parts of yourself, knowing how you might react, knowing yeah. what might come up. And you don't need to have psychedelic experience going into it. I think there are specific therapies like parts work, internal family systems. If you do that work mm -hmm. before, that will make a huge, huge difference. Absolutely. Your experience there doesn't have to be psychedelic. That's an important thing to note. Now, something that happens when we heal, especially if we've been prone to numbing ourselves most of our lives, is we are overcome by all of this feeling we now have to do. And it can be hard to sit with all of these emotions and know where they're coming from. You shared with me that this was something you experienced after doing some healing work, this overwhelming feeling of not being able to sit with all these emotions at one time. How did that play into your decision to do Ibogaine? It was a huge motivator because if you have severe coping mechanisms like I did, you don't really need to feel. And the things that you mentioned 
were a big share of it, but I was also a workaholic. I just, I found all of the reasons not to, you know, sit with myself and feel my feelings. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I began working with the medicines and they opened me up, it opened me up to the reality that I was actually, you know, I always thought I just don't feel things as deeply. And, you know, of course it's the flip side. I feel things way too deeply, which is why I had to numb. But once I'd done that work where, you know, the lid came off, it felt very overwhelming and it still does. Like I'm still in the process of learning and developing that emotional resilience, which I didn't really need to have if you have coping mechanisms that completely take you out of the experience, right? And so that was one of my biggest intentions, the realization that I'm like a deeply emotional person and that I want to be better able to hold the full range of emotions and not just the ones that I feel comfortable with. Hmm. Wow. Would you say that after I began, you feel a little bit more equipped? I mean, you mentioned you're going through that still, but do you feel now that you're a little bit more able to sit with what's going on, even if it's something you don't necessarily want to feel? Yes. And I think there's a lot more awareness around everything because something that I really struggle with is that I feel something and I, in the moment, I cannot make sense of it because I didn't really feel for the majority of my 20s. So some feelings I'm like learning from scratch what they really feel like in my body. So it's almost like a kid, right? And I think after the Ibogaine experience, it's a lot easier for me to understand what my heart is saying when it's triggering these certain emotional states. And when you know that, it's easier to respond to it and give it what it needs because every emotion has a message, right? Absolutely. You've shared with your audience that I began exposed the extent of your mental chatter to you. I love the way you word this because I feel like everyone deals with an extent of mental chatter, you know, this loop voice that's constantly pushing us in a direction that may not be in alignment. What were some of the messages in that mental chatter? It was everything. It was very overwhelming because for the first few hours of my experience, you know, in regular consciousness, you can have like one thought at a time, maybe two thoughts at a time at most. And I in consciousness, you can have hundreds of thoughts at the same time. And it was almost like every intrusive thought that I ever had just came at me. And it was definitely very challenging, but you know, that's what these medicines do. And this was like the clearest mirror I've ever looked into, to be honest, because it just exposed to me that every experience, I just put this layer of chatter over it and it just completely blunts the picture. And it's always things are, should be a different way and always judging. And like the should is the biggest argument that you can get into with reality. And so as soon as that comes in, you're already fighting a fight that you don't really need to fight. And it was everything from like, you're doing this Ibogaine experience wrong to just things about my appearance and my relationships and the way I show up in my life. It really wasn't like a very specific topic or anything. And I think that's the thing with mental chatter. It's rare that it's just, you know, about one thing. Like if you have a very loud mind, it's usually loud about everything and it will find reasons to to chatter all day. I was not aware how bad it had gotten. And I'm extremely grateful that it was shown to me because it, it showed me that that chatter really clouds the other voice that you have inside of you, which is the voice of your heart or the voice of your soul or however you want to call it, right? The thing that is beyond your ego. 
Totally. It definitely can just drown out that higher self, that soul-guided version of you, however you want to refer to that. I really resonated with that when you were explaining that to me. I've experienced that not with Ibogaine, but in a psilocybin experience, just this loop of like, who are you? What are you doing? Why are we here? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. questions about everything that, although that was a terrifying and frustrating experience, through that, I was able to get in touch with that voice and find out what part of me is asking these questions and where are they coming from? And also negotiate with that voice a little bit like, we're safe. It's okay. You don't Mm -hmm. have to repeat these questions. We're good. So yeah, I really appreciate that you shared that and that you're so open with your audience about that. The next thing I want to ask you about is this sort of concept that we discussed a little bit, this concept of taking questions to the medicine. Now, I'm sure you know a few people and I know a few people who They really love to take questions about their life to the medicine kind of frequently. But this can sometimes keep people in a loop where every question they have about life or a phase or something, it's like, well, let's go ask ayahuasca or let's go Mm. ask psilocybin. In your experience and in this context, what separates Ibogaine from other plant medicines? When you always take questions to the medicines, most of the time you'll get really good answers but it's also pretty disempowering. And I came to Iboga with a lot of questions and I didn't get any answers. Instead, I was shown how to find the answers within myself. And I was given essentially a blueprint for how to cultivate that capacity going forward. And for me, that was a game changer because then you're really empowered and you don't rely on anything outside of you. And, you know, if you manage to cultivate that skill and that's essentially integration, right? It's, you get a glimpse into a wisdom inside of you that is always there. It might be hard to access, but then you journey with Ibogaine and you see it's there. And then the work is really to learn how to develop a relationship with it and to learn how to identify when it speaks very differently than the mental chatter. It's the exact opposite, right? And so that was really, really powerful for me because I came out of it and I had, of course, answers to all of my questions, but not because the medicine had given them to me. The medicine had shown me how to derive them. And then I'd done that. And Mm -hmm. that resulted in the clarity that I walked away with, right? Totally. Do you feel like that sort of gives you a skill outside of the I began experience to answer those questions within you without having to go seek them out again in that way? Yeah, 100%. Because I think especially if you're at a place where you don't know how to go about something or you're like uncertain, I think we have a tendency to look outward and ask people for their opinions and all of these things. And the more you have that tendency, the more you realize it's only you that can provide that answer, the more you reach outward, right? And so when you know that, it's, it can be hard to figure out where inside of you to find it. And I think that's one of the things that I'd come across in all of the spiritual texts that I was reading and all the things that I exposed myself to is this classical Ramdas saying like, quiet the mind, open the heart, which is a very short sentence. What does it really mean, right? I think that really summarizes that practice very well. And while it's very simple, it's not easy. (laughs) And it Mm -hmm. requires work because we're not wired to 
derive wisdom in that way in our current society that is completely, you know, just prizes the intellect above all else. And that's something that I will have in my toolbox for the rest of my life. And that's also something that I will develop and grow and cultivate for the rest of my life. It's not like Ibogaine gave me this skill and then I walk away with it and now I have it. It's showed me how to develop it and now I have to do the work to develop it and, and strengthen mm-hmm. it. Right? Absolutely. To maintain that, that's very cool. And a really interesting segue into what I'm about to ask you. I think it fits nicely. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the latter half of your experience. The 24 hours you spent awake writing and receiving what you called the blueprint for my beginning. When you said this in our preliminary discussion, I got chills. I was like, this sounds incredible. You called this time the most magical 24 hours of your life. Now, this is really important because I think a trap some people fall into is believing that I'm going to go do this Ibogaine experience and I'm going to come back and everything is going to be great. And I won't have to worry about anything. My life will just magically fall into place. When really there are so many other pieces that help us maintain good health after a journey. So the million dollar question, what did the blueprint you received look like? (laughs) Well, my whole journey exposed me to the language of my heart. And the blueprint that the medicine gave me is to learn how to attune to it. And that is twofold. On one hand, that requires reducing mental chatter. And on the other hand, it requires amplifying the voice of the heart. And so for both, it gave me examples of how to do that. And none of these things are new things, right? And a lot of them I was doing at a point in time, but it really came together in a way that just felt very different. And essentially for the first piece, which is, the mental chatter, everything that you do either increases or reduces the voice in your head. That really, I think, holds true for everything. The people in your life, the media you consume, like social media especially, all of the things that you put in your mind, they stay there. And some of them like will ramp up the chatter voice and others will do the opposite, right? And so I think that was instruction number one is be very intentional about what you let into your mind because the things will stay and they will change the quality of your mind. And then, of course, there's practices like meditation that have been extremely important for me throughout my journey that Mm -hmm. I, walking out of Ibogaine, had never been more motivated to continue pursuing because I feel like I really understood now what the gist of, the motivation was for meditation and a meditation practice. And then on the other hand, once you've quieted the voice of the ego, that's nice. But if you're not listening to the ego, what are you listening to? You need guidance, right? And so the flip side of it is how you learn to attune more to your heart and how you learn to cultivate that language. And again, the medicine really gave me an explanation of how the heart communicates and it made it so simple and crystal clear that now in my day-to-day, I know what to look out for and I can identify it so much more easily. Because a lot of times, even like intuition versus fear, they can feel very, very similar, right? And so Essentially, you know, there were the teachings with regards to this is how the heart speaks, this is the language of the heart, and this is how you learn to listen to it. And then 
these are things that you can do to cultivate the presence of that language. And, you know, it's essentially activities that take you out of your mind and into your heart space. And that's going to look different for everyone. Like for me, it's a lot of embodiment practices because essentially, you know, the medicine also told me that meditation is the big practice to quiet your mind, but meditation is only half of the battle or game. Maybe it's not a battle. The other half is embodiment where you become more attuned to the physical sensations in your body because, you know, the heart speaks through emotions, which are essentially physical sensations that you give interpretation to. And so the more connected you are to your own body, the better able you will be to listen. And so that was the other thing. And for me, it's dancing and chanting and some, certain creative activities that help me tap into heart space. But essentially, it explained to me that you have a window after this experience where that's like the unique thing about Ibogaine. The noribogaine stays in your system for quite some time, right? And so it will be easier to be connected to that heart voice. But that's going to go down with time. And in the meantime, you're doing all these practices to build up your organic capacity. And so by the time it's worn off, you have put into place these practices that will cultivate your ability to do this without, uh, what do you call it, that people swim with? <laughs> that when you learn to swim, like uh, without the support structure. Like the floaties, like a flotation yeah, device. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that paints such a vivid picture. I really like the way you said building up your natural capacity in line with kind of the the falling of the nora I began. I think it's about 90 days that it stays in the system. Wow. Let's talk about discipline. I imagine that especially things like exercising regularly or eating healthy could be a bit triggering given your history with an eating disorder. You've said that your journey up to this point has been about implementing and learning a sort of softness. I love that. But that mm-hmm. that came at the expense of discipline. So what is the difference in your relationship with discipline pre and post Ibogaine? Yeah, so as you mentioned, a lot of the work in my recovery was to soften and to remove rigidity. And that was beautiful and healing. But I lost my relationship to discipline in a sense, or didn't I didn't lose it, but it just became tainted because I then would always associate discipline with rigidity and almost like resented it because I know where that discipline had taken me previously, right? And a lot of my problems were overexercising extremely and and always until injury, and then I would have to stop. And so I I've seen the darker side of discipline. And now that I've come out of this experience, I really recognize that there are different types of discipline. There's ego-driven discipline and there's soul-driven discipline. And again, it's a super fine line, how to differentiate. That's again, like what language is the voice inside of you that is telling you to do certain things speaking, right? If the motivation is fear, then it's the ego discipline. It's fear of not looking a certain way, fear of not being good enough at work. You know, it's always some version of like not being good enough in whatever capacity, Mm -hmm. right? But there's also soul discipline and soul discipline is motivated by love. And that's when you do things that maybe sometimes you don't feel like doing in the short term or you need a little bit more motivation to get into because you know that the long-term rewards are good for you and it doesn't come from a place of fear. 
ego discipline likes to compare a lot, right? And so like, I have to do this because this other person did this or even like comparing to a previous version of yourself. When you listen to the discipline that comes from your soul, it is more compassion and comparison. And you can tell if it's time to like scale back. It's different because then you don't judge yourself for it. It's not like you should do this and then you don't. It feels very clear when it's good for you. And so because I had those realizations, I came out of it and I've been able to implement a lot of habits that I think prior to this experience would have felt rigid. And now it feels different because the motivation is different and because it feels like a true act of self-love rather than the inner critic running the show Mm -hmm. telling you need to do certain things. And that is makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting because the things that you do might not be that different, but the intention behind it, and as we all know, the intentions matter a lot, (laughs) not in just this work, but in all of life. And it, it makes a huge difference. And it feels very nourishing instead of draining and depleting and energizing. That's amazing. I can relate to that in many, many ways, this compulsion to constantly be moving. And I'm always trying to check myself. Why am I doing this? Is this for myself? Is this for an aesthetic reason? Is this so that I can be fit and healthy and active at age 50, 60, 70? And the more work I've done personally and on embodiment as well, well, more and more the answer is often the last one. I'm concerned for future me mm-hmm. and less of what I look like in the mirror, what someone on the street might think of what I look like. So I can absolutely re- relate to that in a big way. You've spoken about some other tangible changes that you've noticed after your Ibogaine treatment, including like a mental reset and a sort of disinterest in things like social media, less desire for external stimulation and a sort of clarity in your thoughts. Has that lasted? Yes. I've always been someone who really has enjoyed stimulating my mind to the extent that I maybe do it too much. And I read a lot and then I will listen to audiobooks always, all day at 1.5 speed. There's never any room for just always something. I'm putting something in and the things that I'm putting in are all great. Don't get me wrong. But it's again, it's just very out. Like it's always about like the outside and how can it stimulate me, right? And when I came out of Ibogaine, I didn't even feel like reading. I didn't read for weeks. And that's the most unlike me thing. Like I always read. And that's not a good or a bad thing per se. I just, I felt so content. And I had this completeness of like, I think a lot of the times when I read, I'm looking for answers. And I walked away with a sense of, I don't always need to reach outward to other people for answers. Like I'm going to work on, you know, developing the capacity to find them within myself. And so the desire to put things into my mind was really minimal, to be honest. And the desire to just be with what's already there and observe was drastically increased. So it sounds like Ibogaine had a pretty significant impact on your relationship with dopamine. Now, this is interesting to me because while this is happening and you're having this mental reset and you feel different about what you're 
taking in mentally. You're also putting out a ton of knowledge on TikTok and sharing all of this information with people all the time and then having to read all of their comments and their feedback. So how do you maintain that balance, I guess, with knowing and understanding that social media does have this impact on our dopamine? It's a huge challenge and it's a work in progress because I'm going to be honest, I don't love social media. I kind of often wish like it just I wouldn't live in this generation where it just dominates, you know, culture. But if, mm-hmm. if you have something important to say, you have to use the means of your generation. So that's why I started going on TikTok. And my intention was always to just educate people. So at the beginning, I was very good about just creating and not consuming. And then I started consuming. And then I realized, wow, this algorithm is excellent. It's really showing me the things that I want to see. I'd rather watch TikTok than watch mm-hmm. a show on Netflix. But the other thing that I've witnessed happen, which is really scary, is the extent to which it affects your attention span, where you just train Mm -hmm. your brain to expect something new in such a quick interval, where it's like every 15, 30, 90 seconds, right? And that's just these like repeated dopamine hits that you get used to. And so that when you then watch a TV show that's 45 minutes long, I'm finding it hard to just follow. I like will reach for my phone to do something else. And that's really not great. (laughs) And so I'm always working around refining my relationship with it. Right now I'm taking a break. I like to do just delete everything for four to eight weeks at a time, like twice a year usually. Other times I will do phone-free Saturdays or Sundays. So I think it's just really important to have periods where you take it out of your life so that you can rebalance your brain chemistry because it's very easy to just get stuck in that cycle and just adjust to it. And I really don't want to adjust to it. I I get it as a product of our culture and our generation and kind of also I don't want to like completely miss it because so much of the culture conversation is happening on these social media platforms. And if you just completely delete it forever, you just sort of out of the loop, right? And that's nice for a while, but in the end, you also want to know what's going on with the people around you and your communities, whether it's online or actual friends. So it's a work in progress, but I think, you know, coming out of the experience, I had no desire to look at social media and was, I really had to like force myself to start putting stuff out there again. And once I did, you know, then, and people's, start the dialogue and I get a lot of questions like that really motivates me then because then it reconnects me to my intention which is education but you know the in between sometimes is yeah it's I'm still figuring it out totally I think that's something that everyone with a phone can relate to it's really cool to hear about the tools that you're using I really love like phone free Saturday or Sunday and I do the same thing regularly like take myself off of it for a few weeks at a time to sort of disappear and yeah. And then come back. But yeah, I agree. It can be challenging because we want to live out here in the world, but everyone is also mm-hmm. here in our phone. So yeah, finding that balance and also coming back to the intention of it. I think that's a really important reminder. You know, what are you using this tool for? Is it to yeah. show off, yeah. to help people out, to educate folks? So I commend you for that. Now, one of the last things I want to talk to you about, I want to go back to something you said earlier. You said you went into Ibogaine with a question of what your purpose on the planet was, and it told you to learn 
the language of the heart. Tell me a little bit more about the language of the heart. What is the language of the heart? You spoke earlier about how tools like getting into our bodies can help us sort of understand that, but I would love to hear you elaborate on that a little bit more. Yeah, I would love to. This has since been my all-time favorite topic to talk about. The mind speaks in thoughts and the heart speaks in feelings. And no emotion is good or bad for the heart because all emotions communicate the needs of the heart. So the heart doesn't discriminate among emotions. The ego likes to judge certain emotions over others. And as soon as the ego is involved and that judgment comes into play, that's when, you know, the suffering can exist. It's never from the actual emotional experience. It's always from the mind's interpretation and judgment of the experience. And when that is very active, it extends the experience. Emotions by themselves are very short, very physical experiences. They become really long if you resist it and you feel like you shouldn't feel this or you should feel it less or you should feel something else or you don't understand and you're like trying to interpret while you're in it, right? And so that was like the first thing that, you know, the medicine really clarified for me is that the heart doesn't discriminate among emotions. All emotions are good, right? So then the question is, how do you attune to your emotions? And what's interesting here is that you can attune to them best by staying as close as possible to the level of physical sensation because that's the closest you'll ever get to truth. Because even the step from having a physical sensation and identifying it as an emotion or a feeling relies on interpretation from the ego and the thinking mind. And that can already taint things based on the stories you tell yourself, the experiences you had before, the emotions you've had before in your life, right? So the best thing you can really do is to just focus all your presence on the physical sensations in your body and observe them, witness them, and they will pass on their own. And then afterwards, you can think about what the message was of that emotion because every emotion has a message. It communicates the needs of the heart, right? And and then you can course correct. It's very difficult, I think, to take the mind out of the emotional experience because we just want to understand things as they happen. And I'm like the biggest victim of that. Like if I'm starting to feel something, I immediately want to know what is this? Where is it coming from? I start like psychoanalyzing myself and that just interrupts the emotional experience or like makes it three days instead of 30 minutes. (laughs) So a lot of it was around that. And then the last thing that the medicine really honed in for me was how to differentiate the mind and the heart. Because even if you have like an emotion and you're interpreting it, you use your mind, but it might still be things, you know, that it's like your heart speaking through thoughts now to tell you like what to do with it or whatever, right? Like you always kind of need the mind. And it really just gave me like this map of like, this is how you differentiate the two, right? As soon as there's fear, it's always the ego. Fear is the only emotion that does not come from the heart. Fear comes from the ego. As soon as there is control, that's the ego because control is the ego's attempt to manage its fears, right? The heart always trusts. As soon as there is rigidity, it's the ego. The heart is always soft. As soon as it's black and white, it's the ego because the heart can see nuance, right? As soon as there is comparison, that's the ego. The heart is always in the space of compassion. It never compares. 
And it gave me just like a long list of these things to do that were so actionable because I had that problem a lot that I would think a thought and I didn't know if it was like my intuition coming up or if it was some fear-based ego chatter. And now that I know what to look out for, it's a lot easier to differentiate the two because there are these markers of how the ego sneaks in and sometimes masquerades. And when you know them, it's much easier. And then you can do with that what you want. But what I then started doing is just disregard the chatter and just not take everything and every thought that you think so seriously. And that's like the number one spiritual teaching that everyone starts with, right? You are not your thoughts. Yes, you're not, but what are you then, right? And I think the answer is that you are the essence of your heart and the heart is the portal to the divine. You connect to the divine through your own heart. Wow, I feel like I just got a serious lesson in the language of the heart. I feel like I need to <laughs> inhale, exhale. <laughs> Thank you for that deep, deep, deep wisdom. Oh, one thing you said really resonated with me, that need to understand. I mean, everything that you said was obviously resonating, but particularly that piece on the need to understand, the need to understand things. I'm so like constantly asking questions and digging into things and reading. And something I try and come back to is this proverb I've had on my wall for the last 15 years. And it says, if you understand, things are just as they are. And if you do not understand things are just as they are. Mm. And so I try and remind myself that this need to to know is of the ego. So yeah. yeah, that wow, you just explained that so wonderfully. Thank you so much, Julia. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you about your life pre and post Ibogaine. It's so great that you are, you know, sharing this knowledge with the world and hopefully we can have you back on the show again soon. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was lovely chatting with you. You've been listening to Ibogaine Uncovered. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe on Spotify and Apple, leave a review, or share it with your friends. This podcast is brought to you by Beyond and produced by Eamon Armstrong, mixed by Trevor Coulter and edited by Ariel Villafane. Beyond is the world's premier network of medically-based Ibogaine treatment facilities for addiction, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Beyond's mission is to help people end chemical and behavioral dependency and to end the suicide epidemic with psychotherapeutic treatment and psychedelic plant medicine innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical advice and does not necessarily reflect Beyond's views on mental health treatment or personal development. For inquiries and further information, please visit beyondibogaine.com and make an inquiry using the web form or email beyond at hello at beyondibogaine.com.